The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. Gratitude goes out to you today for listening to Eco Radio KC on 90.1 FM KKFI Kansas City Community Radio. This is a locally made exploration into positive solutions to some of today's ecological challenges for all of us working to create a healthier future for our communities and for the world you live in. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. My name is Darnell. Today on Eco Radio KC, host Terry Wilkie will speak with Maverick Knowles, president and co-founder of Legacy EV, which is located in Tempe, Arizona. By now, all our listeners should be aware that EV is shorthand for electric vehicles, the wave of our future. Legacy EV is the market leader in aftermarket EV application. Legacy offers fully integrated EV systems from top manufacturers. With support from Legacy EV, builders around the world are ensuring the transition to EV that both honors the past while protecting the future. As it stands, the production of EVs is not equivalent to the demand. Not only that, but what are we going to do with the millions of internal combustion vehicles currently in use. Legacy EV manufactures conversion kits to turn internal combustion vehicles into efficient EVs. Legacy EV offers certified EV technicians, training programs, and EV design consultation for businesses around the world. The transition to electric vehicle does not mean we have to give up the cars we love and the auto shops we trust. At Eco Radio KC, we are glad to encourage awareness and protection of our world. Our goal is to ensure our listeners are aware of how we can create a sustainable present or a sustainable future. This will be a great radio hour. Now our show. Good evening. My guest tonight is Maverick Knowles, president and co-founder of Legacy EV. I first learned of Legacy EV on a public television program. Clearly, this is a company that is face-on addressing a problem with our transportation. Listeners are aware that Eco Radio KC believes that that electric vehicles, from here on out we're going to call them EVs, are more energy efficient than the internal combustion engine or IC engine. In May of 2023, just a few months ago, the EPA reported that greenhouse gas emissions from transportation account for 29% of total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions, making it the largest contributors of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. Each week, Eco Radio KC reports the problems of greenhouse gases raising the temperatures, melting the ice caps, raising sea levels, and causing turbulent weather conditions. Many of us simply hunker down in our air-conditioned houses and offices, but not Maverick Knowles. 
He's doing something about climate change. Welcome, Maverick. Thanks for having me, Terry. Well, I, I am delighted. I, I find this to be a very exciting show. We haven't even started yet, but I did some research. Now, would you please start by telling our listeners about Legacy EV? Where is it located? When did it start? How did it come into being? Yeah, absolutely. So Legacy EV, we're based in Tempe, Arizona, but we do business all around the world. We were founded conceptually back in 2017. Uh, my business partner, Rob Ward, he's the CEO and founder of Legacy. He's been a lifelong gearhead. He grew up working in his grandfather's uh, full service gas station. So they did uh, oil changes, um, tire service, and always had a passion for cars and was a little bit hesitant to the EV movement. But in 2017, he took a ride in a Tesla P100D and felt the torque of that vehicle and was immediately excited about the opportunities in this space. He saw a big opportunity for the aftermarket specifically in having a space for auto enthusiasts to continue doing what they love uh, with the EV spin. And so he approached me in 2019 and asked if I wanted to be a part of the team. And I was lucky to be able to be one of the co-founders. I'm now president and co-founder at Legacy EV. And my background's in education. So when we started back in 2019, planning about the business, we knew that there was going to be a need for education in this space to train technicians on how to use this technology. So while we simultaneously built the number one marketplace for EV parts, we also built an industry-leading EV education program to train people on how to work with these systems. And so now today we're training technicians from all around the world on how to work with these systems and helping build a pipeline for infrastructure jobs so auto techs can take part in the transition into e-mobility. Well, good on you. I'll tell you, Maverick, I have watched a few of your videos. There are more than one listeners. We'll get to that again at the, at the close, but YouTube legacy EV. It's very, very interesting. But now then, what is your background? What's, you're a teacher? Is that what, like lower school kids or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I started out my career in, through Teach for America. So I graduated from University of Washington with a degree in political science and a focus on economics. And my plan was to be a lawyer, actually, and I joined Teach for America to get some experience in the workforce before going back to school. And in those two years, I fell in love with education and I was able to be on teams of new charter schools that were just getting started and help ideate around what we wanted them to look like in this modern educational ecosystem. So uh, I was helped build project-based learning curriculums for brand new schools that expanded their footprint um, across the country, built curriculums for international baccalaureate. I was a math director for a charter school as well as an athletic director. So I moved into the more administrative side prior to joining the team at Legacy. I've always been really interested in electric vehicles. I drove my first EV back in 2015. I drove the Ford Focus Electric. It only had a 76 mile range, which at the time was about average for EVs that weren't a Tesla. Uh, and so I ended up spending a lot of time learning about range and range anxiety, getting stranded, needing to get picked up. And Rob, my business partner, was the one who would often come and get me and he would make fun of me for driving an EV that couldn't even get me home sometimes until I finally figured it out and I learned about charging and how to get the range down. And so 
uh, he knew I was an early adopter of EVs. And so that just goes back again to when we wanted to start Legacy EV, my involvement in understanding the ecosystem and the market for more sustainable energy. Thank you for that. Now, production of new EVs does not currently meet demand. And I was at a local EV show last year. My town, we have one every year. And a big hit was a converted classic car. I don't remember. Maybe it was a Dodge Charger. And college students had done this conversion, and they were so proud of how it looked and how it operated. And so I get the attraction for EV conversions just as a kind of a science. Uh, And these were college students. They loved that part, and they saw that they were making it a better vehicle. But in my imagination, if we gave up internal combustion engines tomorrow, we would have nearly 300 million internal combustion vehicles to dispose of. Let's pretend the government passes a law. Well, California is passing a law with no more internal combustion engines. So to have a conversion business, um, there's some real genius in that. It's better to convert all of this metal bodies that we've made to EV. More people could have them, could have them sooner. So I, I just want to tell you, I think that your ideas are genius. And mm. I thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. You make a great point in thinking about reusing the vehicles that we already have out on the road. This is especially a factor when we're looking at really large vehicles. For example, a school bus has 13,000 pounds of steel that goes into it on average. And for every one pound of steel you mine, two pounds of carbon dioxide are emitted. And so by the end of the mining process for getting the steel that's required to even make just a school bus, you've emitted 26,000 pounds of carbon into the atmosphere and that immediately starts you off in the negative so even if you're putting a new electric bus on the street you have to spend years recouping that manufacturing emission uh, when there's school buses on the road that could be converted right now and you don't have to go mine new steel you can upcycle vehicles uh, and have a more sustainable impact on the roads well that's very true and then As I was reading about your business and thinking about the business, and I'm like, okay, so you put an electric motor in there and that thing will go for a long, long time. It'll be a brand new driver, but the body is not going to last forever. But then that made me take a look to see, well, what are cars made out of? And they're not even made of metal right now. They're made more of carbon fiber, which is a plastic, I should think. Uh, They're made with fiberglass components. They're made with other alloys, types of metal. Everyone who drives knows uh, we have kind of lightweight cars in the modern world, not like those old Dodge Chargers which were built like tanks, they're heavy metal cars. And I see looking at your videos, the people like to do the body work too, the conversion people, is this true? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of uh, body work that goes into converting a car because 
you have to make it an entirely new driving system. Well, not the steering is the same. The, the suspension is the same. Uh, it's got gears, so I assume the gears are the same. But the, um, the power, it's the power part that you're replacing. And electric vehicles have a smaller power structure. Is that tr physically smaller? Is that true? Yeah, so there's a couple notes on that thought. Every vehicle is a little bit different. So when you end up replacing a gas power plant with an electric power plant, the weight typically ends up being a little bit more for the electric power plant because you're adding battery weight into the vehicle. So gasoline is much more energy dense than lithium ion batteries. So batteries are gonna weigh a little bit more than the gas power plant. So sometimes you do have to do some suspension work and sometimes you do have to replace like a power steering pump. For example, in a lot of older cars, things ran off of belts. And when you make it electric, you have to make them run off electric pumps. And so you add electric pumps into the vehicle so you get power steering working, different things like that. Um, and then gearing can be different, it depends. So often EVs have really high torque. And so you wanna take that torque and you wanna make the best use of it possible. So if you've got a manual transmission, you can keep the manual transmission in there or you can get rid of the transmission completely and you can go with just a single speed and increase the gear reduction. So a lot of times we sell just a single speed gearbox, like a two to one gear reduction. And now you have just one driving speed, no matter whether you're starting or on the freeway. Well, um, to make a complete disclaimer, Maverick, I am not a mechanic, so would you take just, we have two minutes, can you briefly explain to people what is the difference between torque? And in an internal combustion engine, isn't the equivalent horsepower? Yeah, so I could do a dangerous oversimplification of this, but torque is the amount of rotational force you can put out of something. And so electric motors have higher torque than their gas power counterparts. You have a lot less moving parts before the rotation begins when you're looking at an electric motor system. There's a rotor and a stator. So these are notorious for having high torque systems. That's why Teslas are so fast. Um, and that's why so many people are attracted to EV that might ne not necessarily be interested in sustainable ability they're really interested in the performance that they offer while there's also now if you're interested in both you get a double win you get great performance torque as we call it and you get sustainability i i find it very interesting as a person who has only really driven a golf cart <laughs> mm -hmm. and i know when you stepped on the foot pedal it went but it's why it didn't go anywhere it, it trundled along you know so that's a little difficult for me to understand. All right, we're gonna take our first break. My name's Terry Wilkie. I'm lucky I'm getting to speak with Maverick Knowles. He's the president and co-founder of Legacy EV. When we come back, we're gonna talk more about converting an internal combustion engine to an EV. Stay tuned. you have feedback about the shows you hear on KKFI, the KKFI Listener Survey is the way to let us know. You can go online to kkfi.org survey and give us your thoughts on our programming. Hi, 
This is Mary Girlt and some of the characters I play on Shots in the Night Radio Theater. Karen Jombley, pet home decorator to the stars and my Siamese twin sister. Sharon. I'm Sharon and I'm very supportive. Senora Flora Maria Consuelo Evita Benita Dorita Soledad Vega. Hannibal Boone, the oldest woman in Missouri. Join me and my favorite characters on Shots in the Night at 7 p.m. on the second Thursday of each month. It's time now for your good news for a good planet, the Earthship. An Earthship is a passive solar home that is off the power grid and made of natural and recycled materials. They originated in the 1970s in Taos, New Mexico by architect Mike Reynolds, who refers to them as vessels, not houses. An eco-conscious architect, Reynolds got inspired to make sustainable homes from upcycled trash and indigenous materials. The results are some of the most beautiful, magical, organically flowing, and uniquely sustainable homes on the planet. It begins with digging in the dirt and ramming earth into old tires. Weighing up to 300 pounds and spanning almost three feet in diameter, the tires are load-bearing and fire-resistant. Further construction includes recycling bottles and cans as bricks stacked with cement to make walls. South-facing windows illuminate and heat your indoor greenhouse, where you can grow your food in any climate. The roofs are designed to catch rainwater and snow, and collect it in cisterns, then filter it for use. Wind and sun produce the electricity. Earthship Biotexture builds these autonomous homes around the world. They've organized global sustainable poverty relief projects. They have an Earthship Academy, and you can buy building plans online. Earthships are an extraordinary way to live in an extraordinary home that honors and gives back to our Earth instead of harming it. And this is Mandy from GoodNewsGoodPlanet.com. This is Terry Wilkie. You're listening to Eco Radio KC, and I'm talking with Maverick Knowles. He's the president and co-founder of Legacy EV. Legacy EV is a company that now then, Maverick, you all create conversion kits. Isn't this correct? A, a consumer can call Legacy EV and purchase a conversion kit, correct? to convert an internal combustion vehicle into an electric vehicle. Yeah, that is correct. We work mostly with businesses, so independent shops or uh, low volume manufacturers to get them the parts that they need to do these builds or conversions, but uh, DIYers can also come to us and get the parts that they need. Because probably this is really rather a new industry. Can Well, you don't even have to imagine you know what it was like when EVs began to try to get the parts, to try to get this part and that part. There would be different manufacturers of those parts all over the United States. I don't know how a person would be smart about the parts to say, buy brand A as opposed to brand B. But Legacy EV does give advice, right, to callers. Yeah, absolutely. We are a brand agnostic parts distributor. So the great thing about working with us is we don't actually manufacture anything ourselves. We work with over 60 manufacturers and we're developing the supply chain to get all these parts that you need to convert a vehicle into one comprehensive package. And so when people call us wanting to do a conversion, we supply them with 
a turnkey package that they need to convert their car from ICE to EV. Or there's people who are buying kit cars and they want to just build a custom car and use electric vehicle powertrains. We support that as well. Converting an internal combustion engine to an EV seems very complicated to me. Would you talk us through the conversion process? So, and you have to make it really easy. We have listeners that are like me and just don't quite get it. But you yeah. retain the car body and pull out the, or the company doing the conversion. This legacy does not necessarily do conversions. Is this correct? That is correct. Okay. So the company doing the conversion retains the car body and pulls the internal combustion engine out. And are some internal combustion vehicles better to convert than others, like with respect to models? Would you say a few words? Yeah, absolutely. So to really explain the full conversion process would obviously take a lot of time. We have a one-week course that we walk people through everything they need to know, and we let them get their hands on all the products that they could be using in a variety of types of conversions. There are some vehicles that lend themselves to conversions more easily. Classic cars are the most common um, for a number of reasons, but mechanically they were a little bit simpler. Um, like a direct drive vehicle with a straight axle. So meaning the engine's in the front and it's got an axle that goes all the way back to the rear and then it spins that rear axle and the tires spin. That's the simplest type of vehicle to convert because you can just mount an electric motor up in the front of the vehicle. And often the electric vehicle motor is so small that it ends up getting mounted like way low in the engine bay. So you can put batteries on top above the motor and make room for all that that you need to get the car converted. Uh, the slogan that we use a lot of the time for these conversions are there's there's a steep learning curve to learn, learning a brand new technology, obviously, but at its heart, electric vehicle powertrains are much simpler than gas powertrains. Electric vehicle powertrains have 60, 70 components that you need to install and gas engines have thousands of moving parts that can fail and, and uh, need repair and maintenance and service. So electric powertrains are much simpler to work with. They don't have as many moving parts. That's the big selling point, I think, for an electric vehicle. Once you have an electric vehicle and plug it in and charge it up, then you don't have to put any kind of motor oil in. You have to lube the wheels. I feel fairly confident of that, correct? I mean, you've got to grease the wheel bearings so in, yeah replacing your brakes um doing all that sort of like normal maintenance like that on the wheels and tires you would need to do um but yeah you're not needing to change the engine oil um it's it's a very or lube you don't have to lube well you have to lube a suspension isn't i mean you have to lube the gears correct you have to whether it's an ev or an ice yeah, so it depends on the vehicle that you're talking about and what kind of application. Some really heavy duty electric vehicles with multiple speed transmissions, you do end up needing to replace transmission oil. But for the most part, like daily driver EVs, they've got oil in the transmission that circulates internally and they end up not ever needing to be replaced. If they do, it's much, much longer than their gas powered counterparts that they go before needing a replacement. Well, so now then, we're kind of on the edge of this, but 
The parts the conversion removes are the transmission and the engine block. And that's a big honking heavy piece of metal. And then the parts that are kept would be the brakes, the wheels, the suspension, I guess the lights, all of, all of that. Uh, that's a bunch of wires running around everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then talk to us about how changing a vehicle, let's pretend I have a car I've driven for years. I know how it operates using gasoline. And I turn it into an electric vehicle. What do you think are going to be my thoughts about having it with an electric engine? Mm, yeah, this is a great question. We have a lot of really good material out there online as well with a lot of our account reps who talk about this much more frequently than I do. I'll preface it with that. I don't talk about this as much as I used to nowadays, but what are important things to consider when getting ready to convert an EV? There's a few things. The drive style is the first piece. So there's two types of electric motors to, to oversimplify this. There's a transverse mounted electric motor, which basically means the motor is facing in a way where it spins the wheels directly. It's spinning uh, parallel with the wheels, if you want to call it that. So it's coming out of what we call CVs or half shafts going straight to the wheels, while the other type of motor goes perpendicular. It goes straight down the back of the vehicle and then it turns directions at the wheels and it spins outward going that way. So understanding what type of vehicle you're working with like that is really important. And for anyone who this feels like this is an overwhelming thought of like, I have to think about which direction stuff spins or how it's mounted. That's why we're set up the way we are. We're a parts distributor, but we work with a nation or worldwide network of authorized installers. So we have more than 60 authorized installers around the world. That means they're people that we've trained up on how to answer these questions for people who want their car converted and they can do the work for you right there in their own shop. And you know that they've been certified by us, you know that they've done builds, you know that they know what they're doing. So the motor and which way it spins is a big part of it. How much power you want is a big part of it and what kind of range you're looking for. So I find it helpful to just like talk about an example sometimes. Is there a car that you've wanted to convert or you'd be interested in converting, Terry? We can just talk about the car I have. It's a 2008 Ford Focus. Okay. Yeah. So the newer vehicles are going to be a little bit more nuanced. That might be a difficult like one to go through example wise. Let's maybe just talk about a. this is a very classic conversion and a little Volkswagen bug, like the classic one that you'd see in Herbie. That vehicle is on a Volkswagen pan and it's got a transmission that's actually mounted in the rear. So if you opened up like the trunk in the back, there's actually that's where the engine is in that car. And so that transmission, you can leave it in the vehicle and you can mount the motor directly to it. So you literally just take out the engine, you take out the fuel tank and a few other odds and ends, and then you mount in the motor and you put your batteries typically in the front of that vehicle and connect everything together, get it all wired, test it on your uh, vehicle lift typically, and then it's ready to go out on the road. And I trust that Volkswagen body is not going to rust so that it was worth the time and trouble it took me to convert it to EV or? 
That's definitely a big part of this process for a lot of people. Um, typically, if you're, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. People converting cars has been something that's been happening for a very long time. People were converting cars to electric back in the 80s and 90s, but even since then, people have been doing what's what's called LS swapping. So they're taking a brand new LS engine, which is like new top of the line performance gas engine, and they're putting them in these classic cars to make them really fast. So before these EV conversions were readily available, that was kind of the, the conversion of the day. It's been done a lot over the last two decades. But that was really reserved for like car enthusiasts, people that love their car and they just want to make it perform like the modern beast that it can be. And so those people looking to, to do that are shopping for a car that they know doesn't have a lot of rust in it. They know how to look for that in cars and they know how to find it. Where today with the introduction of EV conversions, we're getting people who are really interested in getting a car converted, but they don't necessarily know that much about cars. And so we have some online training that we take people through that can walk them through how to choose a good donor vehicle. Because you're right, you don't want to choose a car that's rusted out because you're going to spend a lot of money fixing the frame, fixing the body and doing a lot of metal work. And so the authorized installers we work with are really good at seeing a great donor vehicle when they know it. Um, but if you're somebody who's new to this, I highly recommend talking to an expert before you go out and buy a vehicle because you could end up buying a vehicle that's got a lot of rust and that's not a great starting point for a conversion. Well, whether you leave it to be a gasoline burner or an electric user, it's it's not good to buy a vehicle that's got a lot of body rust. Yeah, Any way you play. Uh, so I guess that is my question, Maverick. Is it cost efficient to convert a car? Let's say this 2008 Ford Focus I've got, it's not going to run. That internal combustion engine is not going to run forever. It's going to mm -hmm. stop. It's going to reach its maximum miles. Would it be cost efficient if it wasn't a rusty body to keep that car and convert it to electricity? So I have like a two part answer to this question. And I would say right now the answer is like almost but not yet. So this is mostly for enthusiasts. And look at classic cars as like asset grade vehicles is what we call them, meaning they're likely to appreciate over time, increase in value. So taking that classic vehicle and putting an electric powertrain in it can make it worth more money, which is great. However, if you take a really new vehicle, it's probably still a depreciating asset and the conversions cost just enough money that you might be better off to go buy a used EV, like an older Nissan Leaf. That's very interesting. Uh, and I'm sure that's the major question in everyone's mind. Now, you were tiling. We lost some of your transmission in your response oh. to that question. So I'm asking you, is it cost efficient? And you said, well, maybe. It, it can be. And it depends upon how much money people have in their pocket and how interested they're in the technology. Because some people think, you know, the value of having a car run green is worth every penny it takes. We're going to take our second break now. I'm Terry Wilkie. You're listening to Eco Radio KC. And I've been talking with Maverick Knowles. Maverick, you're doing a great job not only at Legacy EV, but for Eco Radio KC, and we'll be right back after this.
Well, folks, it's official. The breakfast buffet is now closed. But Chef Pat's not going anywhere. We're moving to Thursday afternoons from 3 to 6. Welcome to happy hour. I'll still be cooking up some great blues, blues rock, and R&B soul for you. Chef Pat ain't going anywhere. Tune in 3 to 6 p.m. Thursdays on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. KKFI is looking for more volunteer programmers to join our team. We offer training, experience, and a diverse community of dedicated individuals who want to keep the airwaves free. If you are interested, email us at programming at kkfi.org. Here's a calendar for the week of July 10th. Stream Teams United still has a few local AmeriCorps one-year positions. Applications close on July 10th and July 13th. See the list at streamteamsunited.org under projects. Tuesday, July 11th, 5 to 7 p.m., Homegrown Happy Hour at Juniper Gardens, 100 Richmond Avenue, Kansas City, Kansas. The event is free, but registration is required. To learn more, visit cultivatekc.org. Tuesday, July 11th, 7 p.m., meeting of the Kansas Group of the Kansas Chapter of the Sierra Club at UCC Colonial Church, 7039 Mission Road, Prairie Village, Kansas. The topic is Equip Helps Farmers and Landowners with Conservation Plans, and it's presented by Tim McCoy, who's a USDA NRCS District Conservationist. The event is free and open to the public. RSVP before 5 p.m. on the event date to receive the Zoom link at act.sierraclub.org. Wednesday, July 12th, 6 p.m., Plastics and the Future of Our Planet is a conversation with Bill McKibben and Elizabeth Colbert, a free webinar hosted by Beyond Plastics. The registration link is on our Facebook page. Wednesday, July 12th, 6 to 8 p.m., Adult Summer Camp, Discover the Blue. At this free event, hosted by Missouri Department of Conservation, participants will hike along the Blue River, evaluate the water quality, and discover the wildlife that calls the Blue River home. It will be held at the Anita B. Gorman Conservation Discovery Center, 4750 Troost Avenue, Kansas City, Missouri. Registration is required. Registrants must be 18 or older. To learn more and register, go to mdc.mo.gov. Thursday, July 13th, 6 to 8 p.m., Food Preservation Fresh from the Garden at Pressure Canning Event. You can join the Johnson County Extension Office to learn the basics of pressure canning. The event will be held at Johnson County K-State Extension 11811 South Sunset Drive, Olathe, Kansas. There is a cost to attend. To register, please contact the Johnson County Extension Office. Friday, July 14th at noon, you can join Kansas City Community Gardens to learn how to have a successful fall garden. The free workshop will be held at the Kansas City Community Gardens, 6917 Kensington, Kansas City, Missouri. Learn more and register at kccg.org. Please stay involved. Enjoy the summer. Check your local political events for environmental issues. And thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. My name's Terry Wilkie. Tonight we're talking with Maverick Knowles. He is the 
president and co-founder of Legacy EV. What we have learned so far is that Legacy EV is a company based in Tempe, Arizona that compiles conversion kits so that a person can turn an internal combustion engine into an electric vehicle. And they're online. Maverick, you want to tell people what the Legacy EV uh, website is? Yeah, you can find us at LegacyEV.com, and we also have Instagram, Legacy.EV. We have a YouTube channel, Legacy EV, and we also are on Facebook. And as I started the hour and said, you can simply Google Legacy EV and see a lot of very interesting videos, and it goes even beyond Legacy EV. It's just people talking about cars, which is one of the reasons I love cars. <laughs> We're all <laughs> motorheads, I guess, um, in truth. So an average American spends between $150 to $200 on gas every month. And in the first part of the hour, we talked about the problems of using internal combustion engines. The EPA reported just the other day that greenhouse gas emissions from transportation account for almost 30% of total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions, making transportation the largest contributor of greenhouse gas emissions. And every week, EcoRadio KC reports the problems of greenhouse gas emissions raising the temperatures, melting the ice caps, raising the sea levels, causing turbulent weather conditions. So this is pretty exciting to me to talk with you, Maverick, about your business and the advantages to have an electric vehicle. Now, for listeners who are not really aware, wouldn't you say they will be very surprised the first time they drive or ride in an electric vehicle? Absolutely. Yeah. One thing we always talk about with people who are maybe skeptical about the transition to EV, especially if they're a lifelong gearhead and they love cars, we ask them, have you ridden in an EV? Because that will change your mind 100%. They have such high performance and they're so fast. They're so quick off the line. They're so fun to drive. So anybody riding in a EV is going to have a good experience, especially a classic EV because they look like an old car that might not be the fastest. And then you get to step on it and you feel the instant torque of an electric motor. And it's an amazing and super fun experience for sure. Well, yes, they go faster. They're quieter. They're less polluting. And then they have torque from the get-go. Now, early in the hour, I said to you, I'm not sure I get what torque is. I mean, I know what a torque wrench is. I know it's a, it's a power concept. Mm-hmm. But the internal combustion engine has to build up torque, isn't it? So let's say I have a pickup and I hook it to a trailer. And it has enough power, i.e. torque, to pull that trailer, but not at first. I've got to keep stepping on the gas. I've got to give it a lot. I got to give it a lot. I got to give it a lot. And then it'll go. Whereas the electric vehicle, the EV, I hook it up to the same trailer and step on the foot feet and 
it goes. Isn't that absolutely correct? In a noticeable way. I mean, people, that's, that's part of the magic of driving an EV, wouldn't you say, Maverick? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why vehicles like Tesla have such a high or fast zero to 60 time. It's because off the line, they have all their torque available. And for a gas vehicle, the 100% power of the torque is not available typically until you reach a higher RPM. Now then, let's talk in in a complete sense of the word, what else is done at Legacy EV? So you compile kits, you offer consumer information for people that are interested in purchasing a conversion kit, but then you also do install and repair training and work with other schools. Tell our listeners about that. Take a few moments to to really celebrate the genius of that. To be an internal combustion engine mechanic, people typically get ASE certified and it costs five to $10,000 and takes two years. But you do the equivalent thing for EV, for electric vehicles, isn't that correct? That is correct. And it's one of the things that we're most excited about at Legacy EV, no doubt. We are really working hard to work with the existing infrastructure of automotive techs around the world and give them an opportunity to be upskilled is what we're calling it. So we're taking their existing knowledge on gas-powered vehicles and we're just building on that and we're teaching them about EV technology because you're right and you talked about this earlier. Um, oftentimes the suspension is going to stay the same. So much of what works in that vehicle is staying the same. It's really just the power source that gets the wheels to spin that is changing. And that's what we need to teach technicians about. So we've built a few programs to do that. We work with community colleges and tech schools and vocational schools to do a lot of these programs. So if you're already interested in getting a degree in automotive technology, you can come to our website and we'll show you which existing schools we work with so that you can find a school that has EV courses where you can learn about EV technology. The Shelby American Automotive Tech Program in Northeast Texas is one of those schools that we're happy to partner with. We also have a one-week boot camp. It's an in-person training where we bring in existing automotive techs and they come to our facility for a week and we train them on what we call training benches. So we've designed these training benches to have an entire EV powertrain out on these two tables. And we've got four different stations with all different technology and you can rotate between them and learn about how each one works. And you basically get to wire an entire EV powertrain and commission it, test it and tune it in the span of a week. So we take that really robust process of learning how EVs work and we condense it into one week. And then we support those builders out doing their projects when they go out to start working uh, for R&D projects or with their customer projects or internal shop projects, whatever they're doing, we support them in that process. And are you available for people that have EV repair shops all over the world to call Legacy EV and get the parts that just, let alone the conversion kit, but do you sell EV parts? 
Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that we're really focused on working with manufacturers on as we speak. I was actually just at the White House in November of last year talking about this very thing with the Talent Infrastructure Pipeline Challenge. Legacy EV joined a commitment to help train the next generation workforce for these new jobs in transportation and renewable energy that we're going to need workers to be trained on. And Legacy EV being involved in training was invited to the White House to celebrate this and network and talk with other stakeholders in this space about what we need to be doing to better prepare this pipeline for new jobs that are coming out. And so a big part of that is the service and repair side of the industry. We need to be able to take the existing auto techs and we need to be able to upskill them to keep doing what they know how to do in the gas powered side and uh, train them to do that on the EV side. The biggest obstacle to that right now is that um, manufacturers have proprietary software that techs need access to to be able to do this service and repair. And right now, the OEMs and the dealers are really holding that close. They want to continue to do those repairs because there's no training programs out there yet that teach technicians how to do that. And so that's what we're trying to communicate to these manufacturers and policymakers is that these programs do exist now. We're out there training technicians at colleges and through boot camps and techs can be qualified to go out and do this work and they should be given access to the softwares to be able to do these repairs that they need to be able to do. So it's a little bit of work in progress on the service and repair side, but we're working towards it uh, every day to try and get more shops access to the tools and the equipment they need to be able to do these repairs. Well, I, I agree. I, I find that very exciting. But when I was thinking about it, when I was preparing for this interview, and I thought to myself, well, if I had an electric vehicle, where could I get it repaired in the greater Kansas City area? And the heck, there's a lot of shops. There, there are many places where you can have your electric vehicle worked on. And so it's not like nobody does this. It's People drive electric cars, and all cars need repair. Now, Maverick, in all fairness, do you find, do users find that EVs tend to just stop because of computer issues, or like, do they strand people? You know, not any more than their combustion counterparts would. When we're talking about the computer, the brains that's working behind this technology, that's the same software and hardware that's in the gas-powered vehicles. It's just programmed differently with different firmware. So, um, you know, it's EVs have a big spotlight on them because they are such a nascent technology that's taking the market by storm. But there's still less than 1% of vehicles in operation on the road today, which is pretty crazy when you think about how much news they're getting for such isolated events where, you know, gas powered cars have similar computer issues where it ends up needing to be the flash of a new firmware or an update on software that will end up letting the vehicle get out of whatever bricked state it may be in. Um, and it's the same thing between gas cars and EV in that regard. Right. Well, you're, that's very charming, the brick state. I have a friend, and she has some American-made car and a new car, new model, and it suddenly quit one day. It is an internal combustion engine, and she had no idea why was it going, and now it's not going, <laughs> and it had to do with the computer module. Mm -hmm. So she had to have it towed to a shop where a 
I can't say this word, diagnostician can plug those cars in and learn about it. And now I assume, I'm not a mechanic, but Maverick, aren't electric vehicles the same that you can plug them in and, and see? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's there's what's called an OBD2 port on new vehicles, and you can plug diagnostic software into that and see what's going on. Um, and that's, I mean, it's a double-edged sword, the advancement of computer technology in these vehicles where manufacturers can push over-the-air updates and you can get the newest, the best version of whatever computer software is available right there on your vehicle. You can get a torque upgrade on your Tesla with just an over-the-air update from the manufacturer, which is wild and amazing and cool. And and with that, you know, there's also extra complications that the computers provide complexity that other vehicles didn't. I remember when I was shopping for a vehicle with my dad when I was 16, him being like dead set on, we got to be able to service and repair the vehicle ourselves. I don't want to have to deal with some computer. We need to go with like a pre nineties vehicle. And that needs to be your first car because the computers got complicated uh, once we got in the digital era. And so um, and it's, it's a thing that's happening in, in new vehicles, no matter whether it's gas or EV truly. Now Maverick, is there any chance people can see you at a car show? Yeah, absolutely. We're at car shows all over the place. We're um, SEMA is the Specialty Equipment Manufacturers Association. That's the biggest show that we're at every year. Um, we're going to be at a little bit smaller show actually at the end of this month. It's called State of Charge. So I know that we're not in the Denver area probably for most listeners on this show, but it's a show in Denver. It's an educational conference for EV conversions. And you can go there, you can see a bunch of really cool conversions. There's uh, educational sessions over two days. And we're actually going there and we're doing our in-person training the week before leading up to that show. So if somebody's really eager to get trained and learn about this technology, um, you can go there, get trained, and then stay for the educational conference, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, it would be fun to see you at a car show. So now then, give your contact information one more time. I'm talking with Maverick Knowles. He's president and co-founder of Legacy EV. Maverick, what are those sites again? Absolutely. So you can just Google Legacy EV and you'll find us. But LegacyEV.com is our website. You can email us at info at LegacyEV.com. And you can give us a call at 602 518-3233. That's 602-518-3233. I want to thank you very much for being on Eco Radio KC. It was a great, great hour. Thank you, Maverick. Awesome. Thank you, Terry, for having me. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening to KKFI. Be sure to like and follow your community radio station on social media at KKFI 901FM as we are now adding new content to our social media sites every day. And thank you again for supporting this station since 1988. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. Earlier this year, Glenn Ayers and his wife Mary drove their electric car from Massachusetts to California and back, stopping at parks in small towns across the country. Air says going such a long distance in an EV was not difficult. Knowing where to charge up required a bit of planning, but he says they were able to plug in at campgrounds and stations along the way. If you're driving on the interstates, pretty much every 30 to 50 miles, there's a fast charger. 
Ayers says this was a noticeable increase from a few years ago, when he and his wife took a similar vacation. And the number of EV drivers has grown too. Ayers says on the couple's last trip, their car was often the only one at a charging station. But this time... We almost always saw two or three other cars charging. And there were two times where we had to actually wait in line for about 10 minutes to plug in our car. That's very different from three years ago. Altogether, Ayers estimates that he and his wife spend about a third less on charging than they would have on gas. And by driving an EV, they dramatically reduce the carbon footprint of their trip. I hope to never, ever drive a gas-powered car again for the rest of my life. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. My name is Darnell. At the end of our hour, here's some environmental news for the week of July 10, 2023. Democracy Now! reports, the world's average surface temperature has soared to its highest level ever recorded, surpassing record levels of heat measured just one day earlier and a day before that. Climate scientists warned that June 2023 was the hottest June ever recorded, with 2023 on track to become the hottest year in human history. A new report in the journal Nature Communication warns changing weather patterns and extreme heat due to the climate crisis will exacerbate the global food crisis with low crop yields anticipated in the near future. The U.S. Geological Survey has found that nearly half of the country's tap water likely contains at least one type of PFAS, also known as forever chemicals. PFAS are found in everyday products such as personal care items, clothing, cleaning products, as well as food. They have been linked to a host of environmental and health problems, including certain kinds of cancer. Studies have shown nearly all Americans have detectable levels of PFAS in their blood. The International Atomic Energy Agency has approved Japan's plan to dump over 1 million metric tons of treated radioactive water from the Fukushima nuclear power plant into the Pacific Ocean. The water has been in storage following the 2011 tsunami and nuclear disaster. Treated water still contains tritium, a byproduct of nuclear fission, which has been linked to cancer. Inside Climate News reports... Energy companies have talked for years about how carbon capture technology will preserve their ability to burn coal and natural gas in a world that needs to drastically cut carbon emissions. Now there is a project that may be an important test case. A rural electric cooperative in North Dakota announced an attempt to retrofit a 53-year-old coal-fired power plant so that its emissions are captured before before they enter the atmosphere and then buried underground. The Reflector reports, a scorecard from the American Council for an Energy Efficient Economy ranks the state of Kansas 31st with a score of 16 out of 100. The report said Kansas can do more to accelerate the transition to EVs if it had a comprehensive EV plan with EV and EV charging infrastructure targets, providing incentives for EVs as well as EV charging infrastructures. And 
and providing school district support to electrify their buses. Electric vehicles have been promoted as an environmental alternative at a time where carbon emissions are reaching crisis levels. California, New York, and Colorado were the top three leaders in EV progress, but only nine states scored more than half the points available, and the study included all states needed to step up efforts to improve electric vehicle transition. The Sustainability Action Newsletter reports. The Federal Bureau of Land Management proposed a new rule that would reduce fees for wind and solar development on public lands by 80%. Regulators say the move could accelerate renewable power production. The Energy Act of 2020, a bipartisan law to advance clean energy innovation, authorized the agency to reduce the fees for wind and solar projects. The agency is currently processing 74 project proposals for utility-scale renewable energy on public lands, all located in the West. The agency will accept public comments on the proposed rule until mid-April. The GRIS reports. To cut greenhouse gas emissions on pace with the best available science, the United States must prepare for a monumental increase in electricity use. A race to electrify everything is picking up. President Joe Biden's signature climate legislation, the Inflation Reduction Act, contains billions of dollars to help Americans electrify their homes, buy electric vehicles, and install solar panels. To get off fossil fuels, America is going to to need a lot more electricians. A shortage of skilled labor could derail efforts to electrify everything. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. Please tune in again next week or listen to our podcast at any time. Thank you for listening to Eco Radio KC on KKFI 90.1 FM, Kansas City Community Radio. Eco Radio is brought to you each week by a team of collaborators, including me, Craig Lugo, Terry Wilking, Brent Rysdale, Bob Grove, and Dave Mitchell. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and guests and not of KKFI and or the Midcoast Media Project. You can find our calendar and a podcast of each show on Eco Radio KC's Facebook page, as well as on our show page at kkfi.org. This is Richard Mabian, and you can send inquiries and comments to our email at kkfi.org forward slash contact or message us on our Facebook page. Up next is Fiesta Musicale, followed by Noche Magica. Our outro music is Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell. Don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you've got till it's gone Ooh.